Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. There's a cat over here. There's a cat over there. And the wrong one died. And the wrong one died. Welcome to The Wrong Cat Died, the podcast breakdown of Catastrophe. I'm your host, Mike Abrams, and today we have a little bit of a different guest. She's a political cartoonist and satirist from Washington, D.C. She has written many Cats parodies and probably <laughs> is the only person that I've seen write a positive review on the 2019 movie. <laughs> so welcome, Alexander Bowman. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Mike. This is a massive honor. Like, like you said, like I am not a uh, cast member. I am a 22-year-old punk <laughs> who has written some articles that I find entertaining. I hope others do as well. Um, and I'm eager just to talk about, I guess, what the experience of writing those is like and being like a cat's evangelist in my friend circles. And I frankly, it's, it's it. really <laughs> it's relieving to speak with you because I fall into like a just hideous a variant on the main character syndrome where I feel like I am the only Cats fan in the world. So it's good to know there are other people. There are. So it's it's interesting to say because there are a lot of Cats super fans, like extreme <laughs> fans. Yeah. And then there's like a group that enjoys the show. And then there's a bunch of people that hate it. But everyone that hates it has never I've never met anybody that's given me a real reason. It's just like it's not their thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, from what I can tell, just <laughs> from un an unfortunate quantity of conversations I've had with friends, is they hate this idea that it was so financially successful uh, and so widely viewed, despite having what they would call heavy air quotes no plot. Like they're they're uh, angry at the success, and I think hatred or dislike for something often comes from like some kind of envy, or it's like you're not even a playwright, oh, like <laughs> you don't even write musicals. What are you? Envious about, but it's this this like hatred at this group of masses that they can't even name. It's something like that. <laughs> I, I think it's, that's an interesting piece because it's like I've never, um, I wouldn't, I don't even know how to describe myself. I don't know if I call myself a fan. I don't hate it. You um, run a podcast, Nick. <laughs> I feel like I know a lot about it. Um, sure. I've learned a lot about it. Yeah. Uh, but I, and I'm in the boat of where I think it was. I was. I think it was written wrong. I don't. I didn't like the fact mm. that there was no plot. But I never really thought that there. That's a reason to hate it. Like the. It's right. successful. Like kudos. Make that money. Like Andrew Lloyd <laughs> cash, keep cashing those checks. Correct. But but I don't. But it is interesting because it's just like it is not everyone's cup of tea because it isn't a neat tidy plot. And right. it's kind of strange. And that yeah. part is where I get like, it's an easy punchline, uh, hence right. a show like this. Um, yep. But let's start at the beginning. When did you first see it? Did you see it as a kid? Did you see it as an adult? Yeah, actually, I was uh, interning at the Library of Congress in 2019 in the summer. And I was w one day just sent to do work in like the main atrium room. So I had time to like be free on Twitter and kind of go off task. And the trailer came out that day. And it was the day that the trailer came out that sucked me in. Uh, I had realized a couple months later that my grandpa had given me um, Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats years ago. And he had mentioned there was some larger pop culture attachment to it, but I didn't really know what he meant. And uh, I had, I've been taking piano lessons since like age five. And my teacher once mentioned there was a musical about cats. So I was aware of it, uh, but the, the trailer was just so captivating. Uh, and I mean that as a joke, obviously, but I also was like, I can't believe there's a musical about fluffy animals. <laughs> That's so cool. And, and you so, never uh, saw a stage production. You didn't even know really. You like had a loose idea that existed. And the 2019 trailer, yeah, the movie trailer is what – that is probably the only good news I've heard <laughs> come from the movie is that it, it's it, it created a fan. It created a fan now. <laughs> oh, very much. Yeah, I just – um. Uh, I learned very quickly what it was. I watched the trailer a couple times and did some research, kind of a rabbit hole that day. And then yeah. I realized very quickly that it was a, based on a book of whimsical, like British American, but we'll just say British, you know, British children's mm -hmm. poetry about cats. And I have loved Beatrix Potter since age five. You know, I, I, I guess my first crush was Geronimo Stilton. <laughs> you know, I love the idea that anthropomorphic animals can be used to make like morality tales more accessible for a wide audience. 
sense. And so the idea that there was this like juxtaposition of this was something I wrote in one of the articles I did for the Broadway beat, like this glorious juxtaposition of the formal and the stupid. And it was also wildly successful. And it was also something that I could use as a personality trait for years to come. So it was yeah. that a conglomeration of things uh, that kind of drew me in. Um, so, wait, yeah. did you mm-hmm. see the 2019 movie before you've ever seen? Have you seen a stage production of it yet? A production? Actually, I, I have a bulletin board behind my laptop and I have my ticket from the Kennedy Center. I saw it in October. October 2019 at the Kennedy Center. So I okay, saw so this right stage before production the movie. a month before. <laughs> I think I had yeah. like I I um went on a trip to Germany with my family. My dad was on a business trip and like throughout that trip I listened to Beautiful Ghosts like over and over and over again. Yeah. And that was I think early November. So yeah, I I saw I I'm grateful that like <laughs> God at least gave me the stage production so I had something to go off of and wasn't completely turned off by the movie. Yeah, so you would have saw I, the <laughs> touring cast Mm-hmm. from the touring cast six before because yeah. that was a group that went that got like abruptly ended by covid and right. you saw it in dc okay so you got to like you basically went all in <laughs> in 2019 it's like stage production yeah trailer to the movie <laughs> correct and it correct. became I remember your personality I was in- uh, uh, I, I'm allowed to make that joke. Yes, okay, it did. But to make that. <laughs> that's fine. No, it became it as I kind of wrote in one of that, those articles that I wrote. It's just shocking how so much of the show's ethos matches up with my pre-existing personality. And I, I know that's like very, 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 that's something that really centers me. But I just love anthropomorphic animal stories. I love um, musical musics, music that um, is like bombastic and expressive. Uh, the, a variety of styles. Like it, it I love. Uh, let me pull up the article. Let's see if this doesn't take too. So long. this is for, for everyone that's, that's listening. This is the Broadway yeah. Beat article, right? This is the, correct. Yeah, which is which is a parody Broadway. Um, like, is it a website? I mean, I've always seen it on social media. Yeah, it's a uh, like satire publication. Kind of reminds uniting. me of the Onion. It's the it's Onion, the but Onion, for theater. Correct. It's the Onion, but for theater, and uh, they. Yeah, we have a Slack. Uh, we pitch headlines in the Slack. They tell us at the end of the week which ones get selected. And I wrote a headline. Basically, we pitch headlines, and then if the headlines are accepted, they tell us to go write the articles. And so Do I they pitched, pay you for this. They pay me. I won't for, to not shame my boss. I won't tell you how much or no, I, no, how I, little I, they pay I, me. But I, <laughs> I mean, I say that because they barely pay us, but we do yeah. technically get paid. Okay. <laughs> I feel it's, like this is my wheelhouse. I feel like I should be writing for them. Oh gosh, yes, you should. You absolutely should. Please, I, and I know they've changed their system, but it, um, I know that originally I need to check what it is now. Um, you had to send in five pitches. Again, I don't know what it is now, so I don't even know if this is helpful practical information. Uh, yeah. But you had to send in five pitches. If they accepted one, then you became a contributing writer and didn't have to send in five at a time anymore. And you Each could just time. send in okay. one. But to not drive my editor nuts, I just always sent them in in groups of 10. And then like a month ago, we moved to Slack. And so now we just send them all in Slack. And then at the end of the week, our editor will put up a doc based on like an editor leadership meeting and tell us which ones they want articles for. Um, but I, I, I was in the old guard. <laughs> As of like six months ago, when I uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, I'll just write yeah. cats headlines all day, please. I mean, um, they have a timely headline pitch section and then like a normal one, just it, it, these will eternally be relevant. Um, so <laughs> there, there's demand for all kinds of content. Uh, and I'm sure the cast content is, there's just so much <laughs> it's, <clears throat> I've been able to write so much cause there's just unlimited fodder. It's a tragic amount of fodder for, Holy. for punching down. But if you're punching down at yourself, it's fine. So yeah. But yeah, the, the headline I wrote was local woman's personality, just dripping with quote, allowed to see cats too young. Uh, so I'll just preface this by saying like, I, I mentioned that I found out about it personally in um, November or summer 2019 when the trailer came out but I was just astounded as I was writing this just again how much of my preset personality matched with that of the ethos of the show if you will totally. <laughs> I can read a little bit do you want me to is that okay yeah <laughs> just to give so people just any to give kind some of idea of give some preface about. too is is this I got sent this by multiple different people and Did you? <laughs> yeah, because I'm in in the in the small little circle that I live in, where I'm the main character. I'm the cat's person, <laughs> and so I I got sent it, and it was hilarious. And I'm, I want you to read a little bit of it, and then I realized, uh-huh. which is why yeah. we're talking today, is that 
when I got to your website and some of the other stuff you've done is I read some of your other things that also got sent to me a while before <laughs> that oh no Lord. one pieced together. Like even your, you have a, a, a cartoon with, um, with Buster for Jones and James Corden. <laughs> and even like that, I was like, I remember seeing this. Someone sent this to me, like when the oh, movie came out. And so a lot of this stuff has come together to where it's like very clear that your satire is right in the same wheelhouse that I like to live. So it's oh. perfect. So, oh, so share you. a little bit. Cause everyone that is listening to this is likely a cats fan that will also <laughs> hopefully find a lot of this very humorous. Thank you. And also just very briefly, like it is so wonderful to hear that because I, I post a lot on social media and many or most, if not all of my biggest resume bullets that I'm most proud of. And I'm again, I'm like, I'm a 22 year old. I'm a Georgetown senior. I'm graduating in a week, like literally a week to the day. And uh, uh, I, I spend a lot of time on social media and all um, a lot of um my biggest jobs have come as a result of Twitter. So I've been able to justify my continued overusage yeah. of social media. Uh, but it means a lot to hear that I'm not just posting into the void and to be reassured yeah. that it's actually brightening people's lives. Yeah. Oh, Lord, what a relief. But yeah. So like um, and subscribe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, oh, there's so much good stuff here. I'm trying to figure out what to say. It's not that long. You're just stop me when you want me to stop. Is you, that okay? Just read the whole thing. Read the Thank whole thing. You. We got oh, time. Okay. Fantastic. All right. I'll try to do this without snick laughing at my own jokes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, local woman, Alice Brownman, wink, wink, has recently drawn attention for in a way that is more simultaneously implicit and explicit than anything else in history. Having a personality just gushing with the glaring fact that she was allowed to ingest Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical Cats far too young. Quote, I'm not a furry or anything, said Brownman to our reporter, wearing an Animaniacs t-shirt and holding a laptop adorned with stickers featuring Garfield, Tom and Jerry, Puss in Boots and the Cheshire Cat. I'm a furry in the way Beatrix Potter was a furry. See, that's what I said. I think anthropomorphic animals are an ideal way for artists and writers to convey meaning through metaphors that are easy to comprehend in line with literary tradition and utterly charming to children and adults alike. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to feel finish my paper on T.S. Eliot for my Georgetown master's in English. Now, of course I didn't understand a word of the wasteland. This paper is on, oh, you know, paragraph, right? According to local friend of Brownman, Betty Carlton's is a friend on one of my friend's names who's a hater. All of Brownman's deepest interests juxtapose the formal and the stupid. Quote, she's simultaneously as interested in methods of literary critical theory as she is in videos of cute furry am animals slamming into glass doors thinking they were windows, said Carlton, holding her head in her hands and staring at a chessboard to communicate the image of a smart person engaging with perplexity. And also, I don't know why she feels the need to explain all the time she's not crazy and that Cats is really mainstream. No one's critiquing it. Oh, and every time she texts me about Cats, I tell her she's insane and needs to stop before I block her. Brownman's piano teacher, John Ferguson, uh, play on my Joan Ferguson, who was my teacher, uh, noted that much of Bro Bra uh, I made a typo. I wrote Bowman and then my editor didn't catch it. So it says Bowman on the site. <laughs> and that much of, <laughs> that much of Brownman's artistic taste also seems to juxtapose the tastes of the masses, as well as those with an eye for the classic and complex. She values boldness and spectacle with a healthy sense of tradition and technical intricacy. She's fascinated by a vast eclectic variety of artistic styles, all with this definitive sense of flashy spectacle and desire to shock through vivid characterization. It's exhausting. Quote, she seems to be drawn towards media that are an acquired taste, but simultaneously benefit from mainstream appeal, said Ferguson, making us think of matcha tea. I think you should leave with Tim Robinson and Antifa. Quote, let's hope that when she finally grows up, she leans more into the Andrew Lloyd Webber side of that spectrum and not the Tim Burton side. End quote. At press time, we received word from a local lab that Brownman is not like this because of early exposure to cats, but instead a dysfunctional nuclear power plant. That's it. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. There's Thank so you. much in there. Um, I, I like immediately think of the hot dog meme just because you like threw the, 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 that reference in there. Um, We're all trying to find the guy who did it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Andrew Weber hides in a basement. <laughs> I'm the guy who I feel like that's I was I it was I didn't post it. There's so many things that I start like memeing and then I'm like, no one's gonna get this. And then I <laughs> end up deleting it and I was gonna do that for when the movie came out. It was ah, like the like Andrew okay. Lloyd Webber of the like who, who found the guy who did this, like, yeah, you you greenlight this movie even though you like, stepped away from it. Yeah. Um yeah. I it's a, a it's a full article. I want you to when this episode comes out, send this the episode to your hater friend. <laughs> and say hey look <laughs> this is real i've made it yeah 
look, there's a podcast where they invite cast members and they asked me. Exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know why I'm here. I'm frankly offended on their behalf that I, on your behalf that you invited me. But no, anyway. <laughs> no, this is, this is great. I, I think the, oh, I, like the, the, to me, the mix of this, this podcast is yes, it's mostly cast members because they're, they're yeah. the ones that have the most knowledge to speak about it. But I think the fan, the, like the fan in, I really still want to find a hater, but like the people that have some like experiences tied to the show um, is, is fun because it is, it's what makes it so unique. And as long as, I mean, we'll get to my, the million dollar question at the end, but like my critique <laughs> of the show has nothing to do with, I couldn't tell you the first thing about the musical numbers or dancing or any of that stuff. I can right. tell you about the plot. I'm more in right. your world of like the writing and like storytelling. And right. to me, the storytelling lacks and the movie right. storytelling still lacks but it lacks a little bit less because they changed it right <laughs> so yeah 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 okay i want to talk about the movie great yes this is now i have so three areas of expertise generally and the cats movie is one of those areas so let's go i, I want to hear <laughs> this is why you're here um, <laughs> i have not talked that much in, on this podcast about the movie even though the movie is what spawned the podcast i did do a review of it i saw a press press showing of it back before they fixed it like i saw the first week when it was still like half edited but um, <laughs> You, I really do think you might be one of the only positive reviews I've seen on the show. Like you wrote a review and it is a positive review. So like, <laughs> when did you see it? What is like, did you write that review, review? Like, was that an official thing for your, like the, the paper that you wrote it for? Or was this kind of for fun? Oh, so yeah, that original review was for like the Georgetown Art Magazine. So I was a okay. sophomore at the time. And you know, I, I know that the title says the title is cats can have a reluctantly positive review is a treat. Um, one thing I, I, I wrote that title kind of as an attention grabber, because yes, I write a, with um, a love towards the movie in this article. But I think I'm looking at it now, like I think I spend about 80% of it critiquing the movie and then saying the only reason I enjoyed this was because I really like cats and anything about cats makes me yeah. happy. <laughs> so, so it's That's technically negative, the most but positive <laughs> review I've still read about this oh, at all, <laughs> even though there's critiques and everything about it, it's right. still a headline and an ending positive thing. Everybody else just rips <laughs> on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I said, um, what did I say? Let's see. I'm reading this. Okay. As I said, I unironically enjoyed Cats, but I've been unable to settle on any definitive reasons for this other than my loyalty to the original musical and what it stands for. Okay, so here's here's some very love letter uh, lines about both the musical and the movie. Um, the show's avant-garde and integration of charm, and this was writing from two years ago, so I apologize for yeah. <laughs> I apologize. The show's avant-garde integration of charming British children's poetry with Android, an Android Weber score that incorporates a myriad of musical genres, and it's in its it inexplicable success despite its unusual potentially and frequently alienating premise is immensely appealing to me as an example of a perilous creative venture that paid off and earned the love and respect of audiences worldwide the story of the original stage production is a tale oh this is cringe is a tale of a non-conformist underdog rising to success a love letter to creators an encouraging word to the artistic renegade oh gross <laughs> I mean, I, I, it sounds it's extremely pretentiously written but um, that's, I think, one of the reasons I like the music. And it's not like an inner psychological thing. I just, it is astounding to me. It is an inner psychological thing, but it's not the plurality of in the reasons that I like the show. Um, it's amazing to me that something that has such a polarized, um, has had such a polarized reaction over time has been able to be so financially successful and something that matches up so much with what I'm hoping to do with my work, which is uh, creating entertainment for a wide audience that um, maybe uses anthropomorphic animals or, you know, Disney-esque storytelling to talk about social issues. Like if, at, its, at its root, even the stage musical is about the dangers of social tribalism. And so like I do political cartoons about mm -hmm. uh, like, uh, Trump and the GOP and racism and um, environmental issues. And at the end of the day, like this musical, yes, it's entertaining. And there's a little bit of, there's only a little bit of like a morality tale in there. But at the end of the day, it's about um, celebrating individualism while also being inclusive. Um, it's, it's, um, that's, that's at the root of the show. And so for something like that, where you're using anthropomorphic animals towards a social good, you know, eat your heart out, Zootopia, you know, I'm so yeah. thrilled that it did so well. And it's, it captures a lot of what I'm hoping to do with my career. So it's, so it's, 
such an articulate way of basically being like, it's a cult. And we get to hear about each one of them. It's like, because the more I hear about the show, I, there is the, a lot of what you said, I think resonates, which is the, there's, there's no plot. The plot yeah. is, is that you're just getting to witness this family, this tribe, this, this group. Mm-hmm. And you're going to, to your point, the individualism, you get to kind of hear about mm-hmm. how they're all different, but they're still together in a family. Right. Then as I've learned more about the show, because granted, when I started this podcast, I'd seen it twice. And I, saw, <laughs> I saw, I didn't see the movie at that point. I'd seen the show right. twice. Totally. Right. That was it. Right. That was my whole right. understanding of the entire show was right. two Broadway revival productions um, or like matinees. I think I saw both matinees. So it's right. like, I didn't even see, I didn't even go at night. I saw two, two o'clock on a Saturday or three o'clock on a Sunday shows. Right. Um, and, and it is, I, I just started learning about how sexually over like, tone there is there's like Victoria's <laughs> coming of age and Demeter's being abused and right um Grisbella is most likely a sex worker and all this other stuff and right. then it's to your point it's like it's a kid show and I'm like <laughs> no it's not it's not a kid show but right. it is interesting to you say like it is like a parallel to all of the the stuff and it's a lot that you can relate to now even though it's right. 41 years old right and so it's like it's it's held true because of that. And I think to your, a big part of what has kept it holding true is almost everybody can find somebody in the show or some cat in the show that they relate to. And so yeah. there is some personal yeah. like, Oh, I kind of in that, I'm that cat. And so I've enjoyed that piece. Cause I can see myself in that, in that character. Right. And if you think about the source material, like I assume all of your listeners know, like it's a book of children's poetry. There's like 20 poems about just describing these adorable little individual animals and their little personalities. And it's a satire of cats as a species, of course, like in in, in Mr. Mistopheles, uh, if you read the poem, it's about cats that steal your stuff and how annoying they are. But it's like, ha in his mind, he's a little magician. How cute is that? And like all of the poems. Poems or that. <laughs> yes, except, uh, except except the part about this that Grizabella is not in the book, right? Because it's too sad, right? Too <laughs> scary and too sad for children, right? And then that is just the premise for your entire show, Correct. which is again goes back to we're going right. to build around a story that was too scary for children, and we're going to make this a show that's mostly for children, right? And well, it makes sense if you think about the thesis of the book of poetry, which is this is a satire about cats, the species. Like I don't think there's anything about. Um, other, unless you're really punching down at sad old cats, you know, <laughs> there's yeah. nothing about uh, the text of Grisabella, the glamour cat, that in any way is satirical. So I understand why he totally. cut it for multiple reasons. <laughs> but yeah, but and of course, that's yeah, now yeah. the the root of a, the show, right? Right, which is interesting. Yeah, and um, I actually, you know, I'd heard that the Demeter backstory, but where, where did you get that from? Cause I've heard that, but I've never, I've Ooh. never been sure where that's pulled so, from or where the book of lore is or whatever. <laughs> this is what has become really challenging about this show is that there's right. 41 years of history. There's right. six different versions of Broadway tours on the, in the U S and that's even more so when you really think about like six is technically pre COVID and post COVID, which were two totally different casts. Right. Um, it's in Vienna running. It's been running in the UK. It's been running mm-hmm. on the West end. It's on a real Caribbean cruise. It's on, um, they did the South Korea during COVID run. It's in Australia. I've been touring. So it's been running f- everywhere for so long. So right. there are some like the head cannons that are out there on the internet and then uh, there are because each person does a slightly different version mm-hmm. or has a different because it's a very loose like I think everyone says Chrissy Cartwright comes in and tells the story and there are a couple known truths. So like over my 70 episodes, I've heard versions of what people can remember they've been told about oh. like their their character. So it's like someone comes in and does a day where they go through the book of cats. And it's like, mm. here's what you need to know about each one. And a couple of the like known truths are one is Demeter was in an abusive relationship with McCavity. That's right, like one okay. of the known things. Um, Victoria's dance is basically her losing her virginity. It's like a known <laughs> thing. That's so barely like, ex- an implicit, really. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yes, totally. <laughs> so there's barely. a couple of things that are just like, this is fact. We know this is fact. And then there's a lot that is two characters or two actors playing it because they're friends off stage or they decided they want to play this way or they want to go jokingly. I've been talking about how my goal is to influence everybody's version of it by saying it. And I, I know I've influenced a couple 
where they've gone in and not materially influenced, but like, wow. Hey, you should play this character. Like, have you thought about playing this character with this relationship? Like right. this person is this, your mother. Have you thought about that way? And and it's like, no. Right. And then say, go, go try that. Cause it doesn't change the lyrics. It doesn't change the dancing. It's just changed some reactions to the person. So right. I interviewed somebody else today and I don't want to get anybody in trouble. So let's just say <laughs> I have, I have interviewed and convinced people to try some things because that's been my goal of the show is to slowly, slowly influence the outcomes of, of cats. Um, <laughs> that was your secret plot. The that's whole my time. plot. That's been yeah. my goal. <laughs> only goal. So the only reason I keep doing this is I talk to people because my goal is to change the ending. Right. Um, well, and other, and other, another way of saying that might be your ultimate goal is to add a plot to this stupid show. <laughs> that's what you're I, trying to do very gradually. <laughs> I, I loosely want to. I don't think you can add a plot without. I mean, that's what the movie did. The movie tried right. to add a plot and it kind of failed. Like they basically said, we're going to take Victoria and make her the, the narrator. Right. And we're going to add in some others. Like they tried to make McCavity a lot more villainous and make a, a, a true beginning, you know, like a, a conflict resolution type of thing. Like they right. attempted to do that and it didn't work. Like it like <laughs> well, objectively okay, didn't work. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back for more of the wrong cat died. Can I actually ask, and I'm like, I'm an English major. I'm ready for this. Like, how did it not work? Because my biggest beasts with the movie were, I enjoyed the CGI, but I obviously see why that's a problem for the vast majority of human beings. And the slapstick was awful. And apparently the music was written wrong. I don't know how or why. I just, every... Every couple months, someone sends me that video. It's like why the cat's movie music is bad, <laughs> and I, I mean, haven't watched the, it. <laughs> one of the original Mungo Jerry Rumble teas are like the the British uh, version, right? So it's a, it's a totally that. different song. I prefer that version. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't know that, and I was I did enjoy that song when I saw the show. So it's like, oh, it's just completely different. I think they right. changed some numbers. The jump cut editing made it impossible to see any of the dancing. So I couldn't oh, tell if the yeah. dancing was good or not. Like I'm assuming an Andy Blankenbuehler is like an incredible choreographer. I assume that that dancing and they had amazing dancers. Yeah. I assume what they were doing was awesome. I couldn't see it because it was right. like you got repositioned so often that you couldn't right. really follow what was happening. Right. So, but to answer your question, I think from a storytelling perspective, I mean, I'm more of a sitcom fan. So I like the A, B storylines, like, <laughs> right. and then tying them together at the end where there's like two conflict resolutions, many things happening, and hopefully they come together. And that's like right. all sitcom writing. Right. I, I think that there's, Cats doesn't have that because the whole point of Cats is you are being welcome in to watch this like ritual, this right. little piece of their world. And mm -hmm. the whole story is, to your point, just getting to see the individualism. It's not really right. a singing competition like that because <laughs> right. otherwise Tugger doesn't think he's a choice. Like, And a couple of them don't right. think that they're there. So if it was a singing competition and they can't win, it's not really a competition. And then why is there this like orgy in the middle? Because <laughs> the ball's an orgy. It was um, a lunch break. <laughs> yeah, the ball's an orgy. Like, that's another one of the like known facts. And right. so it's like, it's like, why would you have all this? So it's really hard to tie a story into it. And so right. it's like a redemption story technically, but you can't do a redemption story fully if you don't have Grizabella's whole backstory, which isn't what Cats is. The cat, the cat story isn't Grizabella's backstory. It's here's right. the tribe, and we're gonna uh, like get some assumptions about her, and then she's gonna go in and quote unquote win. And so right. I think that they tried to force in like I need to give you a little bit of explanation because they were trying to build for a mass audience. Like they should have right. just lived in a little world where it's like let's just build this for the Cats fans and make right, it a little yeah. indie film and it would have been fine but they built right. for the mass audiences which means that you had to explain in the very beginning right. what in the world is going on and they didn't right. really do that even that way very well right right well i think part of the interesting aspect of the show which we're seeing play out live in this conversation and conversations you've had with people is that it, like you said it gives you a look into their world and gives you the opportunity to put head cannons on the characters and it's built mm -hmm. for people who enjoy the ability to do that Correct. <laughs> so so if that's not something that interests you then of course you're not going to enjoy the show um and, and shoe that. shoehorning that in takes away part of the storytelling i would argue like magic and effect of the entire production and but yeah. you can do that on stage because right. if i ever see the show again the first thing i want to do is i want to watch the twins 
Because yeah. the twins are wild to me. Like they're going to see stuff before. And I can do that because the, the main attraction can be happening in front of me and I can still watch the ensemble characters on the sides doing their thing. And they're, they all are doing their thing, which is an incredible acting skill because that's why they're staying in their character. In right. a movie, you frame stuff to see. Like you tell the audience what you need to watch. There right. isn't the ability to just say, oh, I'm going to watch those two other cats the whole time because right. it's not being shot for you that way. And so that's right, a little bit of a right. challenge with with the way that this whole thing is set up is you're supposed to immerse yourself in there. And a movie's not meant for you to do that. A movie's meant for you to be directed around to where you need to go. Right. And that's ninja level analysis of why adapting uh, something across media, like a, a stage show into a movie, is so much more difficult than simply, uh, you know, bringing a camera around through the stage, like the 1998 version or storyboarding. It's 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 so much more involved than that, especially for a story that relies so much on the audience's imagination and the ability to see all the characters in motion at once. And I exactly. think they just spent a lot of money thinking I have enough big names yeah, it won't matter. Right. And right. it did because every did. single person distanced themselves quickly from that movie. Right. And Ugh. don't want to be associated with it at all. <laughs> Can you imagine being Tom Hooper or like anyone who invested any significant amount of time on that? I would die. I <laughs> I, honestly, I don't know how much time he invested in it because it wasn't edited until like the last minute. That's so, true. Like, <laughs> That's it felt true. very rushed. And, you know, I just, uh, the timing of everything was very strange for me with that movie. Um, yeah. Not just like when it came out, but even the trailer when it dropped. Uh, that, this movie's still not out. I just saw it. It's coming out. I think it might be out by the time that this this releases. But the, right. the same day that that trailer came out, Top, Gun, Top Gun's trailer came out. And mm. Top Gun was another like blockbuster, massive mm. movie. Mm. And so even every decision along the way, even before it became a running joke, I was like, right. well, your your trailer is being drowned by one of the biggest like right. movie releases that's expected at that time. Like right. Top Gun was supposed to be huge. It released right. with either a Marvel movie or something else on the same weekend. So it released oh. the weekend with some other huge, massive blockbuster movie. It's like right. nobody thought this through. Like the studio, I don't think whoever made decisions didn't think through a lot of things. And I think just assumed right. because you had Idris Alba, Taylor Swift, James Corden. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jason Derulo, like Rebel Wilson, like you had such big names, Jennifer Hudson, you right. just, Judy Dench, you assumed, Ian, like you keep going. So it's like all of those right. names you assumed, it doesn't matter. People are going to go see it. And right. it was like the first group, I saw a press showing and the, and that should oh. be a group of people that should be professional. Like you're there for an invited reason. You have to be invited to that version. Right. And people were cracking up in the first five minutes. And I'm like, if oh. this group is laughing. Right. This is not going to lend well for the general public. No, no. And it's so not. it yeah. became a running joke. And it's got to live on as a Rocky Horror type of thing is the only yeah. way that that movie lives any further. Yeah. Yeah. But and for, for, like crazy. as a young, yeah. And as I guess as a younger fan who's only, who's only two years into this, but is way deep emotionally into this. Like, I think if I, I I'm hoping to work in film and TV and I, I'm not necessarily like aiming for like filmmaking as the jackpot. I think just that's just not the cause I'm particularly interested in. If I ever get to the honor of adapting a movie and I don't know, I don't, I've never made a movie. I've made lots of little YouTube videos. I've never made a movie. I have no idea how difficult it is. It's completely out of my depth. Obviously, I'm 22. But I, one thing I would really hope to do is not create a movie that makes people who are sincere, loving, honest fans of something feel embarrassed of the thing that they love. I think that is the ultimate totally. failure. And as, as a Hobbit fan, <laughs> a Hobbit movie fan, where seeing The Hobbit on December 23rd, 2012 was like a very formative moment for me as a person person uh developing interests in sixth grade and middle school like um i just it just was a formative experience for me that i was so deeply engrossed with something that basically was accepted by critics and most of my friends as something poorly executed and mm -hmm. that it was interesting I, i'm not i'm not like i wasn't traumatized but it was just an, an mental exercise uh that i had to really 
navigate. Maybe I learned things from it that have made me a better person, but that's just something I would really hope to avoid if I ever got, or anyone, if anyone directs some kind of adaptation of something, I hope that they see, they identify that potential humiliation of fans as the ultimate thing of not to avoid, like yeah. the anti-jackpot. <laughs> I, I don't honestly don't think they put a single thought into that. I think it mm. was a, I mean, it seems like a cash grab. It seemed like it was a really big budget with a good, like it's enough of a vehicle that right. it could be done well. Like I'm not convinced. Right. It, it, I convinced it could be done well if you, you'd have to curate a little bit of the story a little bit more. You'd have right. to do some of these things to make it a little bit more like dance heavy and focus on that and maybe wide angle shot a lot more of it. Right. But it's it's a. I mean, again, it's got 41 years of stage success and it's right. currently running in. I know of at least four versions currently running. So wow, yeah. Like it's. It, it has the ability to like a show you're seeing it now. All these Broadway shows are, are ending early and stopping because they don't sell tickets. Like it's still selling. And so I think right. the movie could have sold. It was just right. really poorly executed. Right. And this was the centerpiece of that positive, quote unquote, positive review was that Tom Hooper chose to die on possibly the worst creative hill I could imagine, yeah. which is he identified the primary reason of the film's success of the stage show's success as being the illusion of seeing humans in cat outfits. And he chose to make that the centerpiece mm -hmm. of his movie. The thing that you could not get past, like th there's some creative decisions where it would be like a one and done thing or you, you know, it's a passing thing or it doesn't distract from the whole movie but by choosing to die on that hill he ensured that uh basically the um if that one thing screwed with audiences where they didn't enjoy that one thing they wouldn't like the whole movie yep. <laughs> and given how potentially polarizing that one decision is it just baffles me that he went with that i i, I don't think anyone goes because they're eager to see humans dressed as cats why do they go and i'm sure it changes for every person but we can generalize like they go for the um the music they go for the mm -hmm. spectacle they go to see uh, the sets you know they they go to see what do you think? What do you well, think they go to I, I think I definitely think when you go see it, you it's the singing and dancing. Like it's yeah. an incredible like you talk to anybody that's done it, it's it's one of the highest uh injury shows for dancers. Oh, it's like a wow. high level of injuries because it is extremely demanding. Because mm -hmm. they're pretty much all dancing the entire time. And so right. I think that was when I first saw it the first time and like I made fun of the ending and the plot and you know the same kind of punchlines that everyone else can make. Right. But I did walk out going, that is and I saw Broadway revival. Right. That is peak performance right. of peak like of of the of what of their ability, of the of that skill set, like to tumble, to dance, to do those right. like different things you're seeing. Right. extremely talented people doing something that is extremely demanding and right. singing while they're doing it. It's one of the only shows, it might still be the only show that this, the dancing is so demanding that they have singers in the booth that sing with the singers to uh -huh. help because right. it's so hard that like they have to just catch their breath when they can. Right. And, and so that to me is where it's like, that's what people I think go to see the show for. There's a little novelty, but I think that novelty wore off 25 years ago. You know, like the novelty <laughs> is kind of gone. Like novelty probably happened in the eighties, but now right. it's like the show's been running for 41 years. Like, you know what you're walking into, or you should have at least right. a general sense of what you're walking into. And so you're right. going to see these incredible performers sing and dance and do these extremely difficult numbers right, um, right and so that's where i thought the movie when i saw the cast it's like of dancers not the super celebrities the dancers right. like the twins and um I, I'm McRae. Name. <laughs> yeah like, yeah, um, yeah like the, they had some really talented dancers that i really mm -hmm. didn't get to see enough of like you just didn't get to watch it in the movie is the level you would want to Right. And they also, uh, instead of making the centerpiece be the dancing, they chose to invent an entirely new centerpiece, which yeah. I think you could argue was the big name aspect. And, you know, I'm yeah. sure I don't think it's ever going to be possible to determine, like, how dependable is having a big name cast for getting box office returns? Like, I'm sure it's sometimes worked and sometimes hasn't because of a conglomeration of other reasons in various cases. Uh, but I think <laughs> to have a movie which for the vast majority of like the mass American or worldwide movie viewing audience be a bunch of 
good actors being on screen in a, like a grotesque manner. That's that's not gonna work because you can barely see that it's them. It's just like these freaky th- people with the t- t- uh, t- Taylor Swift's face or whatever. That's yeah. not really Taylor Swift. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, like I again, I thought it was cool because it felt like I was watching one of my own dreams. Like I, I adored that. But I don't think the vast majority of people clearly they didn't. Clearly they didn't enjoy that. But yeah, yeah. I thought it was fascinating, and I would love seeing like the psychedelic. Uh, like fireworks on display and uh, amazing but i don't think that that <laughs> works for most people <laughs> it, it didn't land. i'm glad it was made i'm glad it happened because it's yeah. like oh my gosh if you are like if you sound authoritative enough you can get movies like this made probably not for at least another couple decades but i, I think i wrote that in that article yeah too. like it for someone who hopes to have one or two just total cult classic box office failure type achievements maybe not movies but whatever in my lifetime like it brings me joy to know that something as ridiculous as this was actually created <laughs> for a hundred million dollars uh-huh <laughs> like that's the part it's like it wasn't just like some whim decision where it's like oh we'll make it and see what happens like they put a lot of money into this like they assumed they... this was going to be big correct <laughs> no. and it maybe it was uh, yeah. it was in its own way um fascinating i hope it'll probably be written down in like film history books uh for various i think it won six razzies that year (laughs) um and it hey look it created a fan in you Uh, yeah without it 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 would be one less (laughs) cats fan in the world oh oh yeah i mean yeah uh uh-huh yeah that's right and you you have to wonder how many other people like that there are because i probably wouldn't have heard about it i wasn't plugged into like broadway period i enjoyed les mis like the soundtrack and my parents took me to see beauty and the beast on broadway three times when i was five where i dressed as cogsworth and i was the only little girl in the theater dressed (laughs) as cogsworth like i i I enjoyed broadway but nothing close to uh what I'm trying to become now. And I'm actually just met with my new master's thesis advisor this week. And I'm hoping to write about um, the effect of British culture and politics on kind of the creation of Avita, Jesus Christ Superstar, and ideally cats, if my advisor lets me shoehorn that in. And, if you, can you know, it, it, it's <laughs> correct. Like it, um, the, the movie enabled me to learn about this. And I think hopefully just indirectly the movie probably did a lot of good for introducing people to a whole range of topics they might not have otherwise known about i i i'm not naive enough to think that there's more than like two cases of that in the world but (laughs) hopefully it did happen yeah Uh, love it i will will anxiously be waiting to see your final thesis (laughs) and if you're able to sneak cats in if you need an authoritative figure like myself to be quoted in your thesis uh i'm I'm (laughs) I'm here no, as honestly, an expert on cats. Honestly, yeah, please. <laughs> well, yeah, here's I, I'm a contributing writer for DC Metro Theater Arts at the moment. And I are, uh, it's this like Washington, DC based performing arts review preview publication. And I just learned a month or two ago that Cats is coming to the National Theater in yeah. January. Um, so I wrote to my editor in advance with lots of like winky face laughing emojis. Like, look, I know it's however many months away, eight months away, but please, <laughs> can I call dibs in advance? She's yeah. like, yeah fine you can call dibs in advance so you're, if, so you know, you're I, reviewing got it <laughs> if i do like commit a war crime and get fired from the publication in eight months you know i, I don't want to look back on this and, with regret but right now i am set to review it <laughs> in um, eight months yeah. i i'm excited for you to see it on stage again yeah um, me too with i'll this... do it in costume <laughs> are you gonna go okay do you have a cat's costume I do. I commissioned one from this amazing artist on, you can find her on Instagram. It's at Pixie Dust Jellicle. Her name is Kayla Bennett. Uh, and she does commissions for the entire outfits. And uh, there, it, it brings so much joy. And it's brought my Georgetown buddies so much confusion and so much joy. And so uh, it's been a real light of the last couple months here. So, I love yeah. it. I it, have a tail. That's all I've got. Hey. So far. <laughs> I, it's I worth money. It's like a, it's a couple fancy nights out, you know, <laughs> for uh, lots of joy and interesting Friday evenings when you're alone and bored. <laughs> I, I think it would shock most people to know this, but I don't think the majority of people that I know even know that I talk about cats on a podcast frequently. <laughs> really? It surprises me because it's, it's a, it's a fun like fact. It's a good two truths and a lie because it generally throws people off because it's not, I'm not the, 
it's not like a big part of my personality. I'm not a theater goer. I like, I, right. I mean, I'm a theater goer. I'm not like a theater expert. I love right. going, but I go as a fan and I walk out confused of what I saw 90% of the time. <laughs> um, and you can see, yeah. if you can see behind me, I've got two athletes, you know, like oh, yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. more sports in my life than anything. Um, as right. I'm about to watch hockey and basketball this evening. Um, <laughs> but I do think it's like, it is interesting because it's like, it like owning one and having that and have like i think it would confuse everybody um even yeah. this hat i'm wearing a hat from the podcast that someone got me is like most people <laughs> don't even recognize that um right. that it's you know most of my friends aren't cats fans um right right and most of them are cats haters so it sounds like we have a lot of mutual <laughs> friends uh right. that are that are, don't get the what's going on in this this fandom but right 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 oh well, my gosh yeah it's it's been again like i know that i bring it up at parties to seem interesting i know that i do that but it's sincere and i love talking about it like i was at this student council meeting for the georgetown college academic council or whatever like our, our end of year end of four years end of my four years uh final pizza lunch thing and i brought it up or someone brought it up and then i like lost it like my eye my eyes are already huge but they got like three times the size, and like the a dean from Georgetown University turned to me and she, you are freakishly excited. What is wrong yeah. with you? Like it, it's, it's something that uh, I think it enables me to show joy to people and bring joy to people. And it, it introduces them to another kind of art that they might not have considered thinking about. And I get to teach them about how Steven Spielberg once did this interpretation of it during the blitz and, you know, Don Bluth and, and learning about animation and storytelling. And I wrote all these articles yeah. analyzing it and, trying to i one of the articles i wrote was about um how t.s Eliot once wrote this very famous article called uh oh shoot tradition and the something talent Let me, oh i should know <laughs> i'm pulling it up uh tradition and the individual talent there it is and where he actually described like the recipe for making good art and the idea basically was um uh, art needs to be made up of a series of individual elements that when combined work well together. Uh, and it's enabled, it's, it's basically been a cautionary tale for me in conversation, like in, as a means of both my own thinking and talking about other people's art for engaging how to create a successful work of art uh, for niche audiences, for mass audiences. It's just this fascinating case study that's also about cute furry animals. That, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, no, it, it's been a just an important presence in my life for me learning what kind of literature and what kind of media I am interested in. And it's also makes me seem interesting at parties. <laughs> so I generally I have the reverse. I generally it's not brought up and then whenever it comes up it's like, oh I probably know more about this than most people. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. uh, here here I am. Like what do you need to know? And it's like, oh I no, I've thought about this at length at the plot. Right, and, right, and right. I know a very specific set of it. Like I couldn't tell you I still it, it bothers some of the theater other people in our podcast network who they're like, yeah, this person was in cats in the eighties. And I'm like, I have no idea who you're talking about. Like, I, I'm like <laughs> they might be the most famous Broadway person, but I have no idea who you're talking about. Yeah. And I'm like, but I can tell you that I don't think it's possible for Skimble Shanks's train to stop at the stations that are in his song. If he's on the train <laughs> that he does, because right. they shouldn't stop on that train station. And it's like, that's the level of detail of the story that I'm ready for. Not anything right. about the singing, dancing, acting, whoever did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, speaking of knowing people from the eighties. So like I mentioned, I might've mentioned, I run a satire publication at Georgetown and I founded it uh, three years ago and I'm about to leave. And it's, it's a whole, emotional thing and i pass it on to two new friends of mine and i uh, just got to meet like they're both georgetown students and i got to meet one of their moms and it turns out like both of this kid's parents are actors and have been for like 40 years and they were actually neighbors with terrence mann who's like the one of the original mm -hmm. rumson tuggers and so i bought myself um you can't your listeners will be able to see it but i bought myself this like vintage figurine yeah. of him from it's like 1984 so i don't know when terrence mann did it but hypothetically i have original a figurine. Broadway. he's one okay, of the few yeah. i know um because i have yeah. spoken with him and we've oh not been able to make a, an episode, but I have talked with him about doing an episode. Right. Um, right. And he right, was right. a lovely human being, but he was the original Broadway Tugger. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's weird because yeah. I have a figurine of my friend's neighbor That's on awesome. my desk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is so great. Oh my gosh. Yes. I know. And it's just been a wonderful conversation starter. And um, totally. like I said, mean, like a method of 
literary criticism, which is, is shocking given what it is, but I I'm love grateful it. regardless. Yeah. Let's do yeah. some rapid fire. Um, if Great. you got to okay. perform in the show, who would you want to be? Uh, given my current skill set, the only one that doesn't dance is Buster for Jones. So I would okay. do that. <laughs> Pretend that you could do magically any of the singing and dancing. Cause I can't do any of them either. That's like same thing. And Buster for Jones, you'd have to be Gus too. So that'd be hard. Oh, well, you know, ignoring that who would you who would you want to do if you could do it i my costume is rumple teaser i think she's adorable and i there's some i think hopefully some personality parallels there yeah. between me and her i think her or you know the rum tum tugger he's cool love, it. <laughs> love um, the vibe the just unmitigated gall that he has it's totally. something i aspire to yeah just the complete lack of shame it's it, precisely it's, what i'm aiming for they are main character main character energy hardcore. yeah <laughs> yeah um, um, who's your favorite and least favorite cat? Favorite, probably. I think Rumble Teaser just has simultaneously just this wonderful eye popping color scheme. And I love Garfield, and she's got Garfield's mm -hmm. color scheme going on. Um, least favorite, that's tough. Mm, I don't like this fangirl thing that et cetera has. I think, <laughs> um, okay. I mean, that's, yeah. Good, I don't know. The, the inclusion. I mean, of course, if you're going to have this rock star character, you need to show like the giggling teenage girls. But, you know, that bothers me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've always been bothered that in McCavity, all the girl cats get up and start fangirling over him together. It's like I feel like Rumpelteaser would have more dignity than that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, et is kind of like the symbol of that mentality. So I love I've been considering if I were to get an additional costume, I might get hers just because it's an interesting color scheme. But I don't like the fangirl aspect that's carried through to multiple male cats <laughs> yeah. so it's it's an easy <laughs> an easy answer for a lot of that so i I'm is it you. yeah oh and very quickly like it is such a bummer and this i don't know if this is a hot take uh but you don't need to cut the entire number of growl tiger's last stand just change the two stanzas <laughs> that's it uh, or you know make them <laughs> Make them, you know, some other breed. It doesn't matter. Like, just, it, it, the point is that they're bad guys. Like, just make, even write out, yeah. instead of Siamese, just write bad guy cats. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know, just, um, when I was... I guess one of the reasons I think I love this show is that I listened to it while walking around Georgetown and getting used to this new phase of like freedom in my life. And I used to listen to the like a uh, Broadway production while walking around campus. And for whatever reason, just the operetta in Girl Tiger's Last Dam was this massively emotionally affecting piece of music for me. <laughs> it sounds so silly to say, but it's just so unfortunate that they cut the whole thing because it's so unnecessary. And it's just honestly, I might be insane, but it's just one of the most beautiful pieces of music I've ever heard is that like two minute sec sec uh, sequence. So I, I don't know if anyone's listening, just keep the mute, keep it, keep the it's, whole song, just change the two stanzas. It's a, it's a weird one. Cause there's a couple of reasons why it can get cut. So part of it is like, is it getting canceled or they need them to change it? Then they don't want to really right. change lyrics because they try to stay true to the poems. So uh -huh. they've in general not done that. There's also, you have to find someone that can sing the operatic part which isn't always mm -hmm. necessarily the same because it's it's a, it's one i think it's gus right isn't gus usually yeah. tiger? so like you yeah. need a gus that could do that as well and right. so sometimes it's not the decision is like for the lyrics it can be a decision because of other rationales there and they've done that in gotcha. some other shows where there's yeah. like this person isn't like somebody else is going to sing this number which mm -hmm. is not the normal way they do it because they found an incredible dancer Mm -hmm. to do that role but maybe not sing it for other pieces so gotcha yeah well i guess uh, adjusting my take to account for new information please don't cut it purely because of those two stanzas yeah please don't do that <laughs> yeah it's not necessary yeah yeah no i understand and also like i know in the um uh broadway version from 1983 or 4 it changes based on which wikipedia article you pull up um the guy who sings Gus, it sounds like he is Gus, like an older dude who isn't that good at opera singing, tr trying to do his best job at opera singing. So, yeah, like you'll need a good opera singer for Griddlebone or, you know, Jelly Lorem, right? But mm -hmm. um, you don't need an expert. <laughs> you well, can do someone who's passable, like who sounds comedic about it. But uh, you can go and find, I don't know if you'll be able to find it at a local bookstore, but um, the mm -hmm. Gus was Stephen Hanna, I believe is how you say his name. Oh, okay. And sure. he wrote a diary about his oh. time like he published his diary during the rehearsals of the broadway production 
and it, oh he talks gosh. about Griddlebone and and Growl Tiger because right. it's a part that was like a big part of him forming it. So it's a book you should, as a fan and an <laughs> English oh, yeah. major and all this stuff, like <laughs> Growl Tiger it's, enthusiast. It's, it's yeah. here for you. It's like it's like a hundred pages. It's really not that long. Um, I oh, read cool. it recently, yeah. and it's it's like it's like his handwritten notes. So it's like it, it reads oh, like gosh. a diary. Oh, that's cool. I absolutely should read that. Yeah, hear that, listeners. <laughs> you should read hard, that. It was hard to find, so I will emphasize that that like it's not a well published book anymore. Um, right. You can find it on that big online retailer for books, but you might be able to find sure. it at a local bookstore. I don't know. Yeah, no, definitely. I was on eBay the other day and I came across, I forget what it's called. You probably know, but some original actor who played Buster for Jones at a minimum, maybe among other roles, but definitely Buster for Jones because he was on the cover, like a cat's story or a cat's diary. And That's it, that's him. That's Stephen Hannah. Yeah. Oh, that, oh, that's the one. Oh, okay, Buster gotcha. for Jones is, is Gus and Buster for Jones. So it's, oh, okay, the, the track gotcha. is called Bus Gus. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. got it. Okay, yeah, so got that's it. the yeah, book. Yeah, there it is. It's, okay, great. It's uh, if you haven't read it, you should. It's great. It was really yeah. interesting read um, yeah. about like hearing it from Joanne Lynn and like what creating the because this is basically creating the show at this point. Like, um, right. it was still early on where they were figuring it out. So that might not even it might have been I don't know if it's original Broadway. I don't remember where, but it was like helping develop the characters. Wow. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Once I uh, get my Georgetown senior ball dress and know how much of a chunk that's taken out of my <laughs> bank account, I will spend the $5 to buy my copy. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I am frightened. Yeah. Anyway, yes. um, <laughs> what about favorite song from the show? Oh, I love, I think Skimble Shanks. It, you can't really beat that. So fun. <laughs> I actually did um, uh, from an animation project and I know we're running low on time, so I'll keep this brief. But uh, I, for an animation project for Georgetown class two years ago, we were asked to make an animated music video for some piece of music. And so I chose the movie version of the overture. And I got so the, you might have heard of Copic or Copic markers. It's like alcohol markers. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So the ink, the idea is like the ink blends when it's on paper. Um, I don't know if that made it different from other inks when put in water. Who knows? But basically, I took a pan of water and I squirted um, alcohol marker ink into the water pan, had a camera above it and just slammed the take picture button like as fast as I could and then made a stop motion video of the uh, liquid of different colors moving around um, and I had that line up with the overture and like to be honest that thing is one of the one of my most prized personal pieces of artwork, it's one of the things I'm most proud of um, but uh, you Can know people in see terms it somewhere? Of, yeah, no, it's on my website. Okay. <laughs> yeah yeah, no, we'll it's, it's it. really cool. It's also on my Instagram, but from a year or two ago. But, um, you know, I in terms of the songs, I love just the energy of Skimble Shanks is awesome. But there's something just magical about the melodies that Android Weber came up with that sound just psycho, but they work so well. Totally. If you listen to them enough times, they start to make sense. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Raises eyebrows and like it's a cult. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. I love it. <laughs> so All right. Million dollar question. <laughs> mm hmm. I've argued at length. I don't think Grizabella was the right jellical choice. <laughs> Do you agree with me? Um, or if you're defending Grizabella, whoever you're defending, I want to hear your your rationale for who should go. Sure. I mean, I think it really depends on the answer to this question really depends on what you think death is and what you think the heaviside mm. layer is and your belief in the religion that these cats have chosen to follow. If you think that the heaviside layer is, in fact, heaven of some kind, like some kind of superior existence, then I think that it should have been monkey strapped simply because of what he did for the tribe and protecting them and guiding them through. I think in terms of having um, accumulated the most like moral high ground I think, yeah. and uh, social capital, I think it should have been him. Uh, if it, you think it should be, if you think that it's hell or nothing, then McCavity probably, especially if you're going off of the abuse thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that that would be my answer. Is that a reasonable answer? I think it's interesting. <laughs> I, I've not actually taken that. I've never heard that version. Like, where? What is the? Because I think the the part that makes this so interesting is just, it's an annual thing. So mm -hmm. if it's an mm -hmm. annual thing, I always think about criteria of who gets right. chosen. Like, who was picked last year? Who's picked next year? Right. And so that's a different. And, and like interesting way to think about mm. it is like depending on what mm -hmm. you think the heavy side layer is because i think most people assume it's a cat being reborn so it's like you go you yeah. die, but then you come back as something new and there's some pieces that you could assume in there like 
I've heard right. assumptions that Victoria was last year's, and that's why she's the new kind of young. Wow. Ooh, I've heard yeah. assumptions. I also think sure. there's like a baby Grizz that dances in the opening number in the current show. That's, I think, just mm-hmm. they needed another ensemble character. But I'm like, <laughs> is that foreshadowing right. her right. being choice? Because that's her reborn character. Right. So there's like some stuff like that. Um, yeah. that that can go but if you think about it that way it does give a different question of like who's worthy based on that and that is right. yeah the monkey shop's probably your answer there yeah it, he seems to have done the most for the common good and in terms of deserving some reward for that if the only available reward <laughs> besides you know food or you know or a trip to the, the dumpster where busterberg jones gets his food yeah. like if, if that's the only available reward on the table then yes dying and being reborn would be the best option <laughs> yeah i i love it i think you got i think you got a different a different way to think about it which i like <laughs> thank you uh, does that answer is, is it you're still the same answer for the movie for the 2019 movie is mm. mungus trap still your choice there he seemed to play less of a role. Like mm-hmm. in the movie, it seemed like he was just Victoria's guide as opposed to the audience's guide. Yeah. Um. I, I struggle to remember off the top of my head moments where, uh, unlike old Deuteronomy, Monkey Strap actually looked into the camera and addressed the audience. So I feel like he did less for the group there. Yeah. Um, I'd have Dench to watch. To you. Right. I'd have to watch the scene on the boat again to figure out which one had the idea to rebel and mutiny and cut things loose. Mm, I, uh, I feel like it was it Jenny any dots who did that on the barge. I've <laughs> seen the movie the one time in the press and I didn't make it to the barge the second time. Cause I tried to show my family when right, it came right. out on video or like it was out to watch wherever it was right. playing. Right. And we got, they got about halfway and they looked at me and they go, does this get any better? And I think it was Taylor Swift. <laughs> and I go, not really. And they're like, okay, we're done. And they turned it off. So oh I don't gosh. remember at, at all. Yeah. I have to rewatch it's, it. It's funny. I was at a friend's house in October and we, we had actually really hyped it up. Like we're going to watch cats and it's for Alex, but we're also excited to see <laughs> this, this monstrous movie. And then like two of them left 20 minutes in and uh, didn't come back until the following morning. Apparently they were walking around the national mall for no reason. Like yeah. <laughs> they would rather walk around the national mall at 2 AM and put themselves in danger of being like mugged or shot instead of watching this thing. <laughs> So I've been there in, 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 yeah. in a very precise way. I've been exactly there. <laughs> so, it's uh, I. They made a decision, and I'm not sure. Uh-huh. I I might have been walking with them. Um, yeah. So I, yeah. I, I need yeah. to, I need to watch it again. I did watch the 1998 movie. The very first time I watched it was about halfway through me recording the. I did monologues the first ten episodes where I explained which cat was more worthy, and it was right. probably about halfway through that. And I watched it on a plane. This is pre-COVID. I was traveling a bunch for work. And right. let me tell you, watching cats on an iPad on a plane, ah. it's a lot of really weird looks. Um, <laughs> so even that, oh I was God. distracted because everyone's looking at my shoulder. Everyone's looking at me. And I was like right. dressed up for work. So I was like, I, I look <laughs> pretty professional. No, no, no. You dressed up specifically just to watch yeah, cats, to watch on, cats on a plane. Uh, this is important. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I got a lot of looks. Um, and... <laughs> So I don't remember even that. I've seen that in pieces more, but yeah. the 2019 movie, it was a uh, one full viewing and uh-huh. that was yeah. probably more than most people. You've made me want to buy a plane ticket for the pure singular purpose of just watching cats on it, maybe in costume just to get reactions. You will, <laughs> I, you know, I, I live in New York and I ride the subway all the time <laughs> and all the time I'm always like on the subway. I'm like, you're not going to, you could be in a cat's costume. It wouldn't be the weirdest thing you see on the subway. Yeah, I'm going plane. to Broadway Con this summer and I'm 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 uh, having to I'm already doing preliminary logistical plans and I'm like I'm probably going to have to stay somewhere and I'm not going to want to do the whole 45 minute face thing in the bathroom at the con like I, I it's it's I I'm probably going to have to ride the subway and I'm having to come to terms with that. We will uh yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I did a live episode at the last in person one which was to like February, I think, of 2019. It was our 2020. Oh, it was like right before. Yeah. And I did yeah. have somebody in a Mustafa's costume. It was awesome. Hey. Uh, so I should be there this year. So we'll 
We'll, oh we'll, great! Oh my gosh! We should, we'll be there, but um, hypothetically, I'm running an Android River cosplay panel, but I'm like a month late on giving them my logistical plan. It's not even a panel. I just said, "Hey, um, you should put on the schedule that everyone with an Android River costume should meet up somewhere." And so, like, they asked understandably for like uh, PowerPoints explaining or with the content of my presentation, and I just even with the reduced amount of work that my um, idea involves, I have then like two months late so hopefully <laughs> i still can do it and i don't have to buy a 300 dollars ticket as a result of my delay um but yeah i'm, I'm running that if that happens if i that will be there i will probably not be in costume but i'll be there um <laughs> i can bring the, Where's the shirt that you're wearing the shirt i'm wearing a shirt i have a shirt yeah. that's a cat uh, lifting weights it says training for the heavy side layer that's cute <laughs> so i can wear my cat stuff um yeah but yeah, yeah i love it yeah um yeah, yeah how can we people stay in touch with you like uh, website oh, social yeah. media like how can we follow your your political satire and everything else Thank you. Yeah, please. I think Instagram's the platform I'm trying to build up the most at the moment. Just the algorithm is killing me. <laughs> it's killing artists in general. I think it has since decades ago or whenever it was founded. So Instagram uh, at Alexandra Bowman Art, spelled like it sounds. Um, and then Twitter would be great too. That's I, I did political cartoons for the Lincoln Project, so I had I'm lucky to have developed a significant following of like 21,000. It's it keeps alternating between 20.9 and 21k. So if you can just help me get over that yeah. that would be nice um so that's scripta underscore bene uh because my email address is bene.scripta because when i was 12 my mom told me to pick an email address that i wouldn't have to change later on so according to google translate uh, written well or good writing means is uh scripta bene or bene dot bene scripta which i've been told is not correct so i'm just <laughs> I was hoping to keep that private, but I think I've screwed myself over to yeah. some degree. Sweet. Spell, <laughs> yeah. spell, spell Twitter. I'll link it too, but spell Twitter for anybody that's Thank listening. you. It's at Scripta, S-C-R-I-P-T-A underscore Bene, B-E-N-E. At Scripta Perfect. underscore Bene. Yeah. Perfect. Thank we'll you. link it. We'll link it in the description, but just for anyone listening. So Please. this is oh, awesome. This has been a joy. Thank so you, fun. Mike. Oh, man. I wish I could do this all the time. I, I have all these takes that I can't tell anyone without them running from me. But yeah. anyway, I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I really, it. I have joined a cult. It's a cult about cults. It's a, it is a cult is. on a cult. And you, you, you can use that in your thumbnail on your post about uh, this episode. It's, it's a, a cult about cults. It's a cult about cults. Yeah, you've got some. You've had some great lines here, so we definitely got some quotes oh, to pull from this. You. So, thanks. well, thank <laughs> you for being an amazing guest, and thanks everyone else for listening to this episode of the Wrong Cat Died, the podcast breakdown of the cast catastrophe. To follow along, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Wrong Cat Died, or check out our website thewrongcatdied.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.